Good morning, church family. The scripture today is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. If you have a pew Bible, it's on page 1007. Let's read together. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks, Steph. Well, one thing I look forward to at the end of every school year when I was in elementary school was the annual awards ceremony. At the awards ceremony, there were different awards given out for different subjects. So there was a math award, a science award, a history award, even an art or a gym award. I never won the art award, trust me. But there was one award that everyone knew at the beginning of the year that they had a chance of receiving. See, some of them were meant for, you know, the top one or two students in the class. But there was one that anyone could get, and that one was perfect attendance. (laughs) Yeah, for some odd reason, God made me as a child to be someone who really wanted that perfect attendance (laughs) award. So I can remember times where I was sick as a dog, And I don't know why my mom let me go to school, but I went because I wanted perfect attendance. And I think to myself now, I'm like, nine-year-old Justin, what were you trying to prove to anyone at that point? Um, Who wouldn't want to stay at home, sip Gatorade, and watch The Price is Right all day? Like, that's what you do when you stay home. So you had people like me who really wanted that perfect attendance award, and then you had other kids that really didn't care. In fact, some of them, they were happy to skip school because they didn't care about the perfect attendance award. So we have various personalities, various kinds of people, the way they think about attendance. Fast forward a few years, I was in college. Now I went to a Christian college. I'm grateful for my time there, had a really good education, but there were some things that were kind of interesting about it um, and some things that maybe were not the best that they could have been. One of those things uh, was regarding attendance. So every semester, you would fill out an attendance card whether or not you went to church. And I recognized, being a college student, that while I understand that they're trying to incentivize us to attend a local church, I think we're probably missing the point, right? Going to church is not about filling out an attendance card. Going to church is about gathering with God's people. So you had some students that really wanted to be at church because they loved the Lord and they wanted to be with brothers and sisters. You had others that would be there just so they could check off each box on that card. And then other people that really didn't care about it. See, each of us here, we probably come from different backgrounds, different attitudes, the way we think about gathering together with the church. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been going through this Together for Good study, this series, where we're looking at different aspects of the church and how we can be together for good. And this morning, what I really want to emphasize is if we're going to be together for good, we actually have to be together. If we're going to be together for good, we have to gather together. And so what I want to be very clear about from the outset is we're gonna talk about gathering together as a church family. And I wanna make crystal clear that what I'm not saying is that we gather together so that we can earn favor with the Lord. That is not at all what I'm saying. 
But I do want to go through why we gather together, because the Lord does command us to gather together, but he does so much more than that. And so for the next few moments, I want to look at four reasons why we must gather together. Because if we're going to be together for good, we must gather together. So why must we gather together? Well, first we'll see, we must gather together because God commands it. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, watch this, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. So apparently, here this church in Jerusalem, um, this, this book of Hebrews is written to a church, there were some of the church that decided to stop gathering with their local congregation. We see that they were neglecting to meet together. What is that word, neglecting? This, this, this isn't carrying the idea of they just kind of forgot, or it just kind of happened that way. This carries a more force to it. This was a willful neglect. Um, if you think about when Jesus said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is that same word. They were forsaking the gathering of the church. They were abandoning the gathering of the church. And we see here that it wasn't just a, a one-off thing. This wasn't they went on vacation for a week and missed church. This was a habit. 25 says this was the habit of some. So it was a, a habitual, willful neglect to gather with the church. Now this gathering, we can think of it as primarily for worshiping Jesus Christ. This isn't talking about when we get together for dinner or when we hang out just for coffee or when we play golf together, watch a game together, whatever it is that we do. This is primarily talking about the gathering of the church. So for us, this would be right now, this Sunday morning gathering, primarily. Now there's more that, it's in, that, there's more that goes to that, right? There are other gatherings throughout the week, but we're primarily talking about when the local church gathers together to worship Jesus Christ. Now, why might some of these people be neglecting the gathering? Well, the text doesn't say, but there's probably a few reasons, right? One might be because of persecution. We know that this church was under heavy persecution and this letter was written so that they might persist through persecution and make it all the way to the end. And perhaps some were fearful about what might happen if they were caught gathering with the church. For others, it might have been a lone wolf mentality. Perhaps you had some that said, I've repented of my sin, I've trusted in Christ, and now it's just me and Jesus. We're gonna do this thing together. I don't need anyone else to help me through this. And in fact, a lot of those other people get in the way. For some of them, it might have just been laziness. Perhaps they didn't see a need to gather together. Perhaps they didn't wanna wake up in the morning or walk to wherever they were gathering for, the, for that week. It could have been a, a number of reasons, but there are reasons that some of them we likely can relate to. So how does this relate to us today? What does this text written 2,000 years ago, what does it mean for us now here in Abington, Pennsylvania? Well, we know that the commands for the New Testament church, they are commands for us today. So this command to meet together, to gather together with the church, 
It was for the church at Jerusalem here in the letter to the Hebrews, and it's also for the church here at Trinity Community Church in Abington. Now, what I want to be careful about is I'm not saying that we have to be at church every time the doors are open, right? You hear about that sometimes. Some of us, we grew up. Every time the church doors were open, we were there at the church. What I don't want to do this morning is put an unnecessary um, and unattainable um, guideline on us where we feel like we have to be here every single time the doors are open. I would invite you to be here as often as you can, and I would invite you to be a part of the life of the church, both when we gather and in informal gatherings with brothers and sisters here in the church. But what I'm not saying is that we have to be here every single time. And in fact, we have people that are unable to even gather at all with the church, right? You think about those who are sick, who are unable to leave their home, those who are on bed rest. We think about those who are maybe in the military who have a temporary assignment overseas. Uh, We think about when COVID first started, we suspended gatherings for a few months because we were unable to gather at that point in time. There are, of course, certain exceptions to this, but for every able-bodied person, the Lord is inviting us to gather together so that we might do mutual good to one another. But what does this look like? What are some of the reasons that we might neglect the gathering of the church? You can think through in your mind, what are, what are you know, some of the temptations we have that might lead us astray? Well, one of them might be, it's just a low priority. Um, we say, I'll go to church when it's convenient. I'll gather with my church family when it works out well for me. See, the gospel is very clear that following Jesus is not convenient, right? Jesus says the way of following him is narrow. He says that we have to take up our cross and follow him. If we're expecting that we'll be able to follow Jesus just when it's convenient, we've missed the cost of following Jesus. Perhaps some of us, uh, perhaps we're lazy, We say, if I wake up on time, then I'll be at church, right? We've all been there. Um, We can admit that. But what we're saying is that it's more important that I have one more hour of sleep than it is to gather with God's family and hear from God's word. Brothers and sisters, it is so critical that we forego that extra 30 or 40 minutes of sleep so that we can be here with our family to worship together. For others of us, there might be certain activities that distract us, especially during the summertime, right? We're kind of getting up on that time of year. For those of you that have kids, there might be lots of different activities that can pull us away from gathering with God's people. A lot of times we have either sports or dance, whatever kind of activity that might be. But it's important to understand what Paul says about bodily exercise, physical training, activity that might take us away. He says this physical training is of some value. Godliness, though, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. These sports and those things like that, they are all good things to do, but when they get in the way of us gathering with the family of God, they're distracting us from being together for good. And parents, I wanna be very, very clear. 
if you don't prioritize gathering with God's people, you should not expect your children to prioritize gathering with God's people. Now again, I wanna be clear. There are times where perhaps we're sick. Um, there may be times where we're on vacation, um, where we may not be able to be here. So I wanna leave grace and room for that. But over the long haul, our rhythm should be one of being together here at church. One more thing, what about work? Because I think that's something that uh, some of us have probably struggled with at some point in the past. What do we do when work prevents us from gathering on Sunday mornings with the people of God? Well, I would ask a few questions. One would be, do you have an option to change your schedule? If you have an option to change your schedule, I would highly urge you to do that so that you can prioritize gathering and worshiping together with the family. I'd ask you, if you, if you don't have the option to change your schedule, is it temporary or is it long-term? You know, perhaps it's something for just a few weeks or for a few months, you won't be able to gather. And I think there's grace for that. But other times it may be more of an indefinite arrangement or a long-term arrangement. And I wanna, I wanna be very sensitive too because there might be some here who perhaps you're a single parent and you're working so you can put food on the table for your children. Perhaps you live on your own and if you don't work, there's no money coming in. I wanna be sensitive to the different um, circumstances we find ourselves in. But I also want to gently urge us to follow the Lord together. And so if you find yourself in a situation where perhaps um, you have an indefinite arrangement of working on Sunday mornings, right now I would urge you, find other ways to be a part of the life of the church. So when our community groups are gathering, if you have Tuesday night free, go to community group to gather with brothers and sisters there. If you're able to be at men's Bible study or women's Bible study, if you're able to take part in any, any part of the life of the church as we gather together, right now I would recommend you find ways to do that. But in the long term, I would, I would urge you to ask the Lord to um, make a way to change that schedule so that you can gather with the church here on Sunday mornings to worship the Lord together. And over time, we trust that if it's the Lord's will that we be together with the church, he will make a way, right? So we see here that it is certainly God's command that we gather with the church, but we don't gather merely because God has commanded that we gather, right? God offers so many powerful motivators for why we should be together, why we should gather together. So we see, secondly, we gather together because God invites us into his presence. So look with me back at verse 19. We're gonna go up a few verses and we're gonna read starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, we'll pause there, we see these three let us, and we're focusing on that last let us, let us consider how to stir up one another, um, let us meet together, that's what we're focusing on. But 19 through 21, that's the basis for why we gather together. And that basis is that it's through Christ and Christ alone that we have confident access to the presence 
of God. See, all throughout Hebrews, uh, the author is making an argument um, that Jesus is better and that Jesus alone brings us to God. And so he gives us this Old Testament picture, right? He paints this picture of in the Old Testament, God dwelt in the temple. And there was a curtain separating God from the nation of Israel. And there was only one person on one day each year that could enter that holy place. It was the high priest. And he would have to make atonement for himself before he was able to enter in to the most holy place where God's presence was dwelling among his people. See, everyone else was barred from accessing the Lord and his presence. And that's a physical picture of our own spiritual reality. See, the Bible tells us that we are barred from access to the Father because of our sin. And furthermore, the scriptures make clear that through our sin and through our disobedience, we're not only barred from accessing God, but we are under God's wrath. God is holy and he must punish our sin. But Hebrews is full of great news. Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is the great priest who goes on our behalf to the Father. He's not like those earthly priests who were sinners. He's not like those earthly priests who had to make sacrifices day in and day out. He's not like those priests who eventually would die. No, Jesus, he made one sacrifice and he lives forever. And he goes not to an earthly holy place, but he goes to the Lord himself on our behalf. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice that satisfied God's wrath. See, back when they made sacrifices, they needed an unblemished animal that they would kill, spill its blood to satisfy um, God's expectation um, for their sin. But what Jesus does is he lived perfectly. He went to the cross so that he might be that sacrificial lamb for us. Jesus is the perfect atonement so that our sin might be covered. So when Jesus looks at us now, he doesn't see a sinful Justin. He sees a Justin covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, when Jesus died, that curtain that represented our separation from God, that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom so that God might invite us into his presence both now and for eternity. For all of us who trust in Christ, we are invited into the presence of God. And for those of you here who perhaps have not trusted in Christ, I want to be very clear that the invitation today is open to turn away from your sin, to trust in Christ and Christ alone, to rescue you from your sins so that you might not only have access to God now, but you might live with God forever. But the question we have to ask is how does this truth, how does it connect to our gathering together as a family? Well, again, as I mentioned earlier, in the Old Testament, God dwelt among his people in a temple, a physical building where we saw the physical manifestation of the presence of God in the temple. But how does God dwell among his people now? Well, we see in the New Testament that now God dwells among us because he dwells in us. 
Remember, Paul says that our bodies, they're a temple. Peter says that we're like living stones being built up as a spiritual house and a kingdom of priests. See, we experience the presence of God, yes, when we read his word. Every time we open his word, the Lord is speaking to us through his spirit. We experience the presence of God when we pray, when we commune with the Lord and the spirit is um, interceding on our behalf. We experience the presence of God when we do that. But we also experience the presence of God when we gather together because we are all little temples that are indwelt by God and his spirit. So what does that mean? What is the most powerful experience of the presence of God? Well, can you think of a time where we read the Bible together, where we pray together, and when we gather together? Well, it's happening right now. See, our most consistent and powerful experience of the presence of God is when we gather to worship him as a family on Sunday mornings. Yes, God is present in many different circumstances and he works in many different ways, but if we want a consistent, powerful experience of the Lord himself, well, we gather together to experience him through his word, through prayer, and through the fellowship of the believers. See, if we want to experience the presence of God, the Lord is calling us to prioritize gathering together. Because at the end of the day, church is more than a show. We're not here to see a concert. We're not here to hear someone tell a few jokes, say some wise things, and make us feel happy or sad at the end. We're not here so that we can say what we liked and what we didn't like about the show that we observed. The gathering of the church is the gathering of Christ's followers indwelt by the Spirit of God to worship our only hope and life and death. That is why we gather each and every Sunday. It's not only, yes, we, um, we benefit from it, but we come to worship the Lord together in his presence. So we see that we gather together because God commands us, because God invites us into his presence, but we also gather together because we need to encourage others and we need to be encouraged by others. Look with me back at verse 24. The author says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, in these two verses, we see different facets of encouragement, different ways that we can encourage one another. One way, one category, is through the consideration of how we might stir up one another to do good works, to love one another. Or in other words, we might say, to stir up one another to godliness, to godly living. The other category is to encourage one another, but it has a particular point of emphasis. It's to encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. To encourage one another as we anticipate the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So I wanna take those two things and say a few words about each one of those categories. So what does it mean to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works? Well, you can think of this in some ways um, as a way of instigating one another to godliness. Uh, if you think about, you, know, you go back to elementary school, 
There's usually one kid in there that's the instigator, right? He's always trying to like elbow the other kid and say, hey, why don't you throw that tomato across the lunchroom or things like that. This is not that kind of instigating, right? We're not saying, hey, I dare you to go pray for that person later on. It's not that kind of instigating. But we do want to think of creative ways to encourage and in some ways instigate one another to care for each other. And this is, um, I, I love this because it's so countercultural to where we are right now, right? So one example of this would be, think of um, a presidential debate, which we know is not a debate at all, um, but it's called a debate where two people are basically trying to tear down one another. They might say something to instigate the other person to make them look bad, right? Well, God is saying, I don't want, I don't want you guys to have any part of that, rather, I want you to think about how to stir up one another to do good things. I want you to think about how you can stir up one another so that other people, they look good because they are loving the Lord and loving other people, not to embarrass each other. God wants us to devise ways to instigate godliness in other people. So how do we do this? Well, we wanna be true to the text which says, let us consider how to stir up one another. So first of all, the main application point here is we ought to think about it. We ought to consider it. So I would encourage you to do this. Ask the Lord the next time you pray, or maybe when you have your quiet time in the morning or family worship, ask the Lord to help you consider how you might encourage other people to godliness. Because we trust that this is God's will, right? And so if it's God's will, we trust that he will help us do this. I would, I would invite you when you hang out with a brother or a sister later today or sometime this week, have a conversation, maybe brainstorm a little bit. What are some ways that we might stir each other to godly living? Because the reality is it's probably gonna look different for different kinds of people. God has made us as unique beings and so what may stir me up to godliness may be a little different than you, but we know this. Often, it's centered on the word of God, and it's centered on prayer. So one way, even this morning, we might instigate one another to godliness would be to check in with one another, and if we find something that we can pray about, take a moment right there and pray. It's a good way for us to not only care for one another, but it models, it sets an example for how we can encourage one another to godliness. When I see people down here praying for one another, I think to myself, man, I should find someone to pray for. That's a, that's a really good thing to do, and I wanna do that more. And I hope there are those that would want to pray for me when I share what's on my heart with them. So ask the Lord to consider how we might stir up one another, but it doesn't end there, right? There's another part, there's another category, and it's encouraging one another, specifically anticipating the hope of Christ's return. We see that at the end of 25. We want to encourage one another all the more as we see the day, the day of Christ's return, drawing near. One way I think about how we can do this, um, uh, earlier this week, uh, the elders prayed for one of the members um, for healing. And so when there are those who are sick, the Bible tells, go to the elders and the elders are to pray for them. So we prayed for healing. But our prayers don't end there, right? Yes, we pray and trust the Lord can heal, but our prayers should have a future 
trajectory. We pray that while, while, we, uh, while we want God to heal, we pray most of all that as God heals, that we are reminded that one day there will be no more sickness. One day there will be no more sorrow. See, we encourage one another, yes, through the circumstances we're going through now, but it's always ending with Jesus is coming back. See, our hope is not in the resolution of our current circumstances. Our hope is that our greatest problem, which is sin, that has already been resolved through Christ. And we trust that as we look ahead to the day, Christ will come back and he will make all wrongs right. And so when we encourage each other, yes, we care for one another by listening. We care for one another by praying. But the aim of our encouragement should be the hope that we have in Jesus Christ coming back. One way we can do this, one practical, maybe concrete way we can do this. Um, I, I got this from Ed Welch. Um, he says uh, one unique way someone cared for him was by coming up to him on a Sunday morning and asking these two questions. He said, what was the best part of your week and what was the worst part of your week? Maybe, um, you know, uh, he, he, when he's telling the story, he said it kind of caught him off guard because people don't normally ask him that particular question when he's at church. But it gives us the opportunity to kind of peel back the curtain and understand what's going on in someone's life. What are their hopes and dreams? What are their sorrows? What are their challenges? What are the difficult things they're going through? And ultimately, how is that affecting their soul? How is that affecting their relationship with the Lord? How is that affecting their relationship with other people? Now, obviously, that, that's a lot of stuff that may not come out in one conversation here at a Sunday morning gathering, but it's an opportunity for us to listen to one another. It's an opportunity to give someone concrete questions where they can say, hey, this was the worst part of my week, and I would love it if you could pray about that. It gives us the opportunity to pray for them in the moment. Say, hey, why don't we just pray about this right now? And it gives us the opportunity to direct their hope and our hope to the day when Jesus will make all wrongs right. See, we encourage one another, but we especially encourage one another that Jesus is coming back. And I wanna make one other point here. Some of us might be tempted to think, well, I'm at church a lot. I've grown up going to church. I'm here pretty much every Sunday. And I want to emphasize that just because we're here does not necessarily mean we're obeying the Lord's command, right? Because it's more than just being here. It is being here for the sake of encouragement. That means some Sundays you may be the one that needs encouragement. And that means other Sundays you may be the one that needs to encourage others. But I don't want us to think just because we are here means that we are, um, means that we are obeying the Lord's command. And I also wanna be sensitive. There are, some, there are some days where life is difficult, where we've gone through something very sorrowful, and we may not feel like, we may not be in the encouraging mood. And that is okay, because we are here to be also encouraged by the gospel, by each other, um, by the Lord himself. I also wanna be clear that just because we show up here doesn't mean we're earning favor with the Lord, right? I do not wanna communicate that as we gather with the church that we have somehow earned our way into heaven 
right? Our access is through Christ and Christ alone and his perfection, not our perfection. Well, there's one more reason we must gather. And it's perhaps the most sobering reason for our gathering. We must gather together because if we don't, we'll die on our own. Some of you may know that my favorite TV show is Lost. Love the show. And there's some really important lessons um, that I've taken from it. And one of them is this. Early on in the show, basically a plane crashes. They're stuck on a deserted island. And they begin to realize that no one's coming to rescue them. And so they begin looking for food, setting up camp, finding water. But as you can imagine, during a traumatic event, when a plane is crashed on a deserted island, tensions begin to rise. So you see some people um, have disappeared. Another person drowned in the ocean. Some people are looking for food. Some people are stealing food from others, stealing medication. And everything is beginning to fall apart there on the island. And just when things are about to fall apart, the main character, Jack Shepard, steps in and he rallies the group of people on the island together. He encourages them that they can't be at each other's throats, but they have to support one another. And he says this, if we can't live together, we're going to die alone. If we can't live together, we're gonna die alone. And that live together, die alone theme is all throughout the show. And I think, I think we can learn something from that line. And it's this, if we don't gather together, we're going to die alone. If we don't gather together, we're going to die alone. Why do I say that? Well, look with me at the next few verses there in Hebrews. Verse 26 says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. See, what I want to remind us of is that there are some that appear to have faith. Jesus talks about this, right? He talks about it in the parable of sowing seeds. There are some where we see faith sprout up quickly, but as trial comes, as temptation comes, it's quickly choked out. And we see that the faith that appeared to be there was never actually there. And so the concern with this particular text is that there are those that appear to have faith, but as they neglect to gather with God's people, they choose to walk, they may choose to walk the path of temptation and the path of deliberate sin. And the Bible is very clear that for those of us that walk in an unrepentant way, we have no reason to believe that we are genuine followers of Christ. And the concern is grave, not only because we may, um, we may, uh, our faith may show itself to not be genuine, but Hebrews 3 tells us that we need other people to be sure that we don't fall away. Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13 say this, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, 
so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So the way we avoid the vulnerability exposing ourselves to temptation that leads to deliberate sin, which leads to our falling away, the remedy is by gathering together and exhorting one another every day so that none of us would be hardened by our sinful hearts. See, as we gather together, we help prevent each other from stumbling into that deliberate sin. And I wanna be clear here. I'm speaking primarily to the members of Trinity Community Church right now. We are people that have covenanted with one another. We've covenanted with this small part of the body of Christ. If you're listening today, and perhaps you have been forsaking the gathering of the saints, perhaps you don't prioritize coming to worship together here on Sunday mornings, perhaps you don't prioritize being a part of the life of the church. As one of your pastors, I'm gravely concerned for your soul because you are exposing yourself to the fiery darts of the enemy by not gathering together with us. You're making yourself vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. And the Bible is clear that you are disobeying God's command to gather together. I say this firmly, but I want to say it gently as well. The Bible is very clear, and the Bible exhorts us and encourages us. The Bible exhorts us to come back. If you haven't prioritized the gathering of the saints, I beg you and I invite you, come back. We will welcome you. We will embrace you. And I know it may seem odd because um, you say, Justin, well, if someone's not here, why would they hear this sermon right now? If you're listening online, I beg you, come back to gather with us. There's also an encouragement I want to offer. While you may feel like you have forsaken God, perhaps you're sitting here and you say, I know that I have not prioritized being a part of the family of God. Perhaps you feel that you have forsaken God. I wanna make one thing very, very crystal clear, and that is that God has not forsaken you. That's true for all of us, right? We have all, at different points in our life, stepped away from the Lord and our sin, but he has not forsaken us, and he will not forsake us. See, Jesus is the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after that one lost sheep. Our father is like the father of the prodigal son who when he sees his son off in the distance, he runs and embraces him. Friends, we may feel guilt. We may feel like we have forsaken, but the Lord has not forsaken us. And the work of Christ is sufficient to cover every last sin that we have ever committed. To those that regularly gather, a few encouragements to you. Remember that God is not impressed with your church attendance. He doesn't have an attendance sheet in heaven. He's not marking your name off. He's not impressed by any of that. He's impressed by Christ and Christ alone. 
And so his impression of you is because you are covered by the perfect robes of Christ. Our gathering together does not earn us righteousness. But as we gather together with eager hearts, with hearts desperate for the Lord in prayer, with hearts desperate to hear from the word of God, with hearts that want to encourage brothers and sisters, God is little by little making us look more like his son, Jesus Christ. The righteousness comes not because we've done something, but because God is doing something as we avail ourselves to his grace. And yes, the Bible makes it clear, we must gather together, but we have the privilege of gathering together, right? We get to gather together. And one other note here, for, I wanna think especially of our brothers and sisters who are not able to gather regularly. And I wanna to speak to those of us that are here now. All of this is true, which means those who are not able to gather with us, they need encouragement. In fact, they probably need a special measure of encouragement because they don't get to do some of the things that we get to do on a regular basis. And so if there is someone that you know that is unable to gather with us right now, I would encourage you to reach out to them to let, you know that you, let them know that you love them. If you can visit them, visit them, so that you might encourage them. Brothers and sisters, we look to the day when we gather here, it's a small taste of that day. And we will gather in the presence of the Lord with all of God's children, not just us, but every single person that the Lord has saved. We will worship him together. And that is what we look ahead to. And man, may that day come quickly. Let's pray. Um, I believe Mel's gonna come and lead us in a prayer of application. Let us pray. Father, we adore you. You are always present. Everywhere is you. You exist together with Christ and the Holy Spirit in perfect harmony. And you've called us into that communion. You look for us. You run towards us. You've asked us to be faithful because Jesus is faithful. So Lord, we confess that we have failed to prioritize gathering with you. We confess that we have not encouraged when your Holy Spirit has prompted us to encourage. We've let words not be said. We have not stimulated each other to the good deeds that you've called us and prepared for us to do. So Lord, let us give thanks that you do chase us, that you have run toward us and, and you do not forsake us. You reach out to us, you stand by each one of us, and you promise that your son is coming back. Yes. So Lord, we pray that we would give our hearts to you, that you would shape the desires of our heart to gather, to encourage, and to hold fast to the promise that you are returning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.